0: Here, since January, uh, we've been in a series called Conversations uh, with Jesus, where we've been looking at uh, various conversations that Jesus had with men and women in the Gospel of John. And uh, this morning, we're going to be continuing a conversation that Jesus has been having already. Uh, We we sort of paused it, and we're going to continue that uh, in John 15. As we go through the story, I'll have uh, the verses up on the screen. You can follow along that way. Uh, You can follow along in a Bible app if you have one of those. Uh, If you're here this morning and you'd like to follow along in a paper Bible but you don't have one, our ushers are coming down the aisle right now. And if you'll just signal them somehow, uh, they would be happy to put one in your hands. And if you don't have one uh, at home, uh, please feel free to take this one with you. Uh, Again, we're going to be in John chapter 15, you can go ahead and turn there now, that's on page 868 of the Bibles that the ushers handed out. Last week, uh, Becky and I were gone for a little bit of vacation, we were down at the coast for a whole week and it was glorious. No cell service, no internet, no TV, no nothing, (laughs) except getting to sit and talk uh, with each other. And uh, back here, if if you were here, uh, you know that Josh Jacobson uh, did an excellent job of leading us through um, uh, considering Jesus' words about the vine and the branches. You remember that Jesus called himself the true vine and said that we are the branches. He said that we are unable to do anything of spiritual value, of lasting value unless we remain connected to him, the vine, Uh, Josh used the word over and over again, abide, to describe what it looks like to to remain connected to the vine. Uh, Staying connected uh, to the vine means that that he is where we live, right? And at the end of uh, the passage, uh, Josh showed us that uh, Jesus said that the way we abide in him is by obeying one command. There's one thing Jesus says that we have to do if we're going to receive this life giving power that, that comes from being connected to him. you remember what it was? It was in verse 17. Uh, here it is on the screen. This is my command. Love one another. This is my command. Love one another. In this morning's uh, conversation, or the continuation of that conversation, Jesus shifts from the topic of love to the topic of hate. It's really a stark contrast. Uh, It's a continuation of of the same conversation Uh, actually a continuation of the conversation he's been having since chapter 13. Uh, It's a conversation that is designed uh, to give his disciples and us uh, instructions for how to live once Jesus had gone to the cross, uh, been buried, risen, and ascended to his Father in heaven. And in this part of the conversation, Jesus is going to talk to them and to us, I believe, about what to do when people hate you for being a Christian. Hope you're glad you came (laughs) this morning. Uh, Before we dive into this, let's pray together. Uh, Lord, as we listen in on this conversation, uh, we pray that you would help us to hear it uh, as if it is being spoken to us because it is. Your word is alive. It still speaks today. And so we pray that you would give us ears to hear, give us give us minds to comprehend what it is you're saying, and give us hearts to receive it. And having received it in our hearts, we pray that it would change our lives. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I believe as we as we come to our passage this morning, it's going to be really important that we that we hang on to Jesus's words from last week's message. Uh, eight times in just five verses, Jesus repeats the word love. Uh, we are loved by God, and we remain in that love by loving others. Uh, this this. This idea, this theme is not only our lifeline uh, for dealing with what comes in the rest of chapter 15, but it is also, I believe, the way uh, that we are to respond to what, what comes next in chapter 15. So immediately after reiterating his command to love one another in verse 17, Jesus says this in verse 18 and following, if the world hates you, Know that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Remember what I told you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they obeyed my word, they will obey yours too. They will do all these things to you on account of my name because they do not know the one who sent me. So um, let's define some, some terms here that, that Jesus uh, uses before we go any further. Uh, the word that uh, John records here uh, for world is the word, um, it's, it's probably a word you're familiar with. It's the word cosmos, right? You've heard that before. Uh, and in the Greek, this, this word can have kind of a wide range of meanings. <clears throat> it can mean all of creation. Uh, uh, it can mean uh, all of humanity, like uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, every, every human Every person, right? Uh, but neither of those are what he means here. Here he's using the term "world" to uh, to refer to those who have set themselves in rebellion against God. Okay, that's what he means here. So when we think of the world, if the world hates you, uh, we're talking about people who have set themselves in rebellion. Against God. But uh, just a word of caution here in the immediate context uh, of these few verses, the world that Jesus is talking about is the religious world. Hmm. Maybe not what we normally think of when we think of the world hating or persecuting us. Uh, This is really clear. Uh, For instance, when you look down at verse 25, where he says that when the world hates him, Jesus, it's fulfilling what's written in their law, and then he quotes from Psalm 35. Well, that's directed at the religious leaders, right? Um, uh, We see it again in uh, chapter 16, verse 2 where Jesus says that these worldly people will kick the disciples out of the synagogue. Huh. So so what I take from this, that's not the only worldly people Jesus is referring to, obviously, but what I take from it is that worldly opposition to God can happen out there, right, where where people are, are blatantly opposed to God, But worldly opposition to God can also happen among religious legalists who miss the heart of God and and refuse to surrender to Jesus as king. I wonder if maybe this is what Jesus means when he says that the way of destruction is wide and many follow it, right? But the way to life is narrow and only a few find it. See, friends, Satan doesn't doesn't care if you miss Jesus by being a a carnal reprobate or a religious legalist. As long as we miss Jesus, he's happy, right? Doesn't care how we miss him as long as we miss him. So uh, that's the world. Another term uh, we should define here is hate. Uh, The word John uses for hate in verses 18 and 19 is miseo. Uh, It means to abhor, to detest something or someone. Uh, It's not just a casual dislike uh, for someone. It's a a deep-seated hatred for someone. And Jesus says that the world will hate you detest you. And then uh, he says uh, in verse 20 and 21, he uses the word persecute. Uh, uh, And the the word that that John uses here for persecute is dioko. Uh, It means to hunt down, to aggressively chase after with the intent of harming or killing a person. These are strong, strong words that uh, John is using here. This uh, aggressive, hateful persecution of Christians is going on in many places around our world today, this morning. Um, Open Doors International is just one of several organizations. Uh, that documents the persecution of Christians around the world. Um, Some of the worst of those places include India, Sudan, Afghanistan, Iran, Pakistan, Nigeria. Uh, Danny and I were uh, talking earlier this morning about some of what he has witnessed when he's been to Nigeria. It's it's horrible. Uh, Libya, Yemen, Somalia. The worst place uh, right now uh, for a Christian To be is in North Korea. It's awful. Um, Open Doors has documented documented that in the year 2022, uh, 312 million Christians are living with extreme persecution, uh, being hunted down. Okay, Uh, over 5,000 Christians were murdered last year for following. Jesus, executed for claiming the name of Jesus. Uh, Over 2,000 churches were significantly damaged or even completely destroyed uh, by people who are persecuting Christians. This is the kind of hateful persecution Jesus is talking about in this conversation this morning. Now, to my knowledge, we have not known that kind of persecution. In the US. Thank God, right? Uh, it's possible uh, that a day will come when we do experience that kind of hatred and, and persecution. But I think we need to be careful about what we name as persecution, right? Uh, one evangelical professor uh, from Oklahoma Baptist University wrote an article in the Atlantic magazine called The Evangelical Persecution Complex, and in it, he, he, he talks about how we tend to think that everything is a sign of persecution, maybe even your Starbucks cup at Christmas, right? Christians are being persecuted. And in this article, he he warns against viewing um, uh, disagreement over moral or cultural issues as persecution. Uh, Don't mistake what I'm saying here. We have stark differences on many moral and cultural issues, Um, but we should be careful what we call persecution. Uh, using the word persecution to describe what Christians in America usually face, I think demeans uh, the persecution that Christians in other places of the world uh, are, are facing. Does that make sense? This leads us to another question we should ask ourselves uh, from, from this text. Why are Christians being persecuted? Uh, Some of you I know are familiar with the online uh, uh, publication called the Babylon Bee. It shows up in a lot of social media and stuff. It's a satirical Christian site, much uh, like uh, the Wittenberg door in the 70s. Some of you might remember that publication. I'm not usually a big fan of Babylon Bee, but um, I thought this one really hit the mark pretty well. The article opens by saying this, After getting into yet another argument on Facebook Monday morning, local Christian Hank Riechert found himself blocked by several of his friends and family members. But the 32-year-old was still unable to figure out if this new wave of persecution was because of his firm faith in Jesus or because of the fact that he's a total jerkwad, sources confirmed. Reichert told reporters, I'd like to say it's because I believe in Jesus, but I'm also super obnoxious, I guess. It could be for either reason, and I'm just not entirely sure which. Reichert went on, I'm always getting asked to leave restaurants and grocery stores for loudly arguing with people. I guess that's just my cross to bear in a culture that's diametrically opposed to the teachings of Jesus. The reporter continues, This isn't the first time the totally obnoxious follower of Jesus has found himself in this situation. According to Reichert, he's constantly suffering persecution and exclusion in the workplace, among his family members, and even at church. And he's never entirely certain if it's his reprehensible personality or his love for Jesus that is the cause. Now again, that's satire. That's not real but it might be closer to the truth than we'd like to admit, right? See, if we're going to say that we're being persecuted, we better be sure it's for the right cause. So according to Jesus, then, what is the reason Christians will experience persecution? It all centers on Jesus. Look at verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it hated me first. If the world hates us, first and foremost, it will be because it hates Jesus. Or, if we're to say it another way, if we're going to call it persecution, it will be because of that. People might hate you for being a jerk. That's not persecution. Why would anyone hate Jesus, though? He healed people, he he fed people, he forgave people. Why would anyone hate that? Well, every time we see hateful persecution coming against Jesus, and we see it a lot, it's because he has just made some kind of claim about being God's son, the Messiah. And, And when you hear that word, understand that means king. Okay. He's just made some claim about being king who has authority to say what is true and what is not true. People don't like that. People don't want an absolute truth, do they? People don't want a king telling them what to do. A lot of people like the idea of God. They may like the idea of a man like Jesus being a good teacher and kind and forgiving. But when he says he must be king, when he says that he is the only way, the only truth, the only way to have real life, they don't like it. See, the world hates Christians because it hates Jesus and what he stands for. Jesus also says that the world hates us because he chose us to come out of the world. What does that mean? Does this mean that we should go live in a monastery somewhere, that, that Christians should sort of live in seclusion so we don't, we don't get infected, we don't catch what the world has? I don't think so. We'll, we'll hear Jesus use similar language next week in his, in his uh, prayer to his Father. And we've probably always, all of us heard Uh, the phrase that we are to be in the world but not of the world, which isn't a bad statement, but I think it can get us a little bit sideways. It can tend to communicate uh, sort of a separatist way of thinking that, that we're just stuck here until Jesus comes back, and our job is just to do our best not to get infected by the world, right? But I think as we'll see a little bit later in this passage and then again in next week's, is that Jesus has has called us out of the world's value system. That's what he means when he says, I've called you out of the world. We have been crucified to that old way of thinking, the, the, the pursuit of things that we used to try to find meaning in. And then he has sent us back into the world to tell the world the incredible news of a Savior who paid for our sins, and has made a way for us to experience life, abundant life, real life, not this pseudo life that everyone from the world keeps pursuing. Verse 20 tells us that as we do that, some are going to hate us for telling them that their current pursuit is nothing but a fool's errand. Pursuing satisfaction in what the world promises only leads to more emptiness and and even death. Think about this. When you tell somebody that what they've been investing in all of their life is a bust, some of them aren't going to like that very much. Some of them might be grateful for it. Others may hate you for pointing out that their investment was just a scam of the evil one all along. Ultimately, verse 21 says their hatred is on account of the name of Jesus and because they don't know God. So once again, let me just underscore that the world's hatred of Christians should never be because we're jerks. If we're hated or persecuted, it needs to be because we are pointing people to Jesus. And it must always, going back to last week's message, it must always be anchored in his love for us, which compels us to go and love others. When We get to verses 22 to 24. Jesus further explains why the world hates him. The language can be a little perplexing. Let's see if we can make sense of it. Verse 22, Jesus says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But they no longer have any excuse for their sin. The one who hates me hates my father too. If I had not performed among them the miraculous deeds that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen the deeds and have hated both me and my father. Now this happened to fulfill the word that is written in their law, they hated me without reason. Uh, Again, pointing to this uh, religious, worldly view that Jesus encountered so often. Uh, First of all, what is he not saying? Jesus isn't saying here that the world was without sin or that God wasn't holding uh, the world accountable for their sin. He's simply talking about their awareness of their sin. Uh, in Matthew 15, Jesus called the religious leaders blind guides trying to lead blind people. Uh, but now he says, since I have spoken to them and performed miraculous deeds among them, they're without excuse. He, he's shown them clearly where they are wrong and now they are without excuse. And then he reveals the condition of their hearts. They actually hate both Jesus and God the Father. Again, keeping in mind here that Jesus, uh, directly in this context, is speaking of the religious leaders. And in all of their religiosity, they have set themselves so against the heart of God that Jesus chooses the word hate to describe their attitude toward God. They detest him. That's what the word means. Then in verse 25, Jesus quotes from Psalm 35 and says that they have hated him without reason. In other words, he did nothing wrong. We know this from other places in Scripture. He simply showed them that he was the Messiah sent from God. That was his offense. In the last two verses of John 15, Jesus explains what Christians should do when they are hated and persecuted. Verse 26, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me and you also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. Uh, Jesus has told his disciples before that when he ascends to the Father, he will send the Holy Spirit. The word uh, here is paraclete. It's a, it's a compound word, two parts, uh, that means alongside, okay, para, and uh, an advisor who makes the right call, uh, kaleo. Uh, but the word has a lot of nuance beyond just those two literal Meanings And it can be difficult uh, when we bring it into English to capture that in just one word. So sometimes when we have the Greek word paraclete, it will be translated as comforter. Ah, that, that feels good, right? Sometimes it will be translated as helper. Sometimes it will uh, be translated in a way that carries the idea of a prosecuting attorney who brings evidence against someone. Uh, Other times the word advocate is used. Someone who is close enough to the situation to defend uh, the one who has been accused. It's a legal term there. They have first-hand knowledge of the situation. I think all of those various meanings are, are present in this context because in the face of hatred and persecution, the Holy Spirit is this comforter and helper, we sang songs that, that communicated that already this morning. In the next chapter, Jesus will describe the spirit as the one who convicts the world of sin. Uh, he's the prosecuting attorney. Right? In verse 26, here the spirit is a witness, one who testifies about Jesus. And that same spirit who testifies about Jesus will also empower us. Christians, to testify about Jesus. In Acts 1.8, I referred to this a couple of weeks ago. Jesus said that it's the power of the Holy Spirit that will enable his disciples, enable us to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Isn't it interesting that the very thing causing the hatred from the world, the name of Jesus, is the very thing they are to keep on doing. Jesus has said that the world will persecute his followers because of him, because of his name. And when they do that, his followers are to keep testifying, keep witnessing, keep telling people about Jesus. So you see, this passage isn't a message from Jesus Uh, trying to help his disciples escape that hatred or escape persecution. He's clarifying, first of all, why the world hates them and then telling them to keep on doing that. I think it's worth noting, especially in light of uh, the persecution that Jesus is speaking of here, that the word uh, to testify or to witness Some of you know this already. We've talked about it before. That Greek word that we translate as witness or testify is martyr. Uh, Historically, as the followers of Jesus testified about him, witnessed to others about him, some of them were taken to the gallows and told to renounce him or die. And they chose to declare. In that moment that Jesus was Lord, Jesus is king of my life, and it cost them their lives. Martyr, which literally means witness, then took on the meaning of someone who witnessed about Jesus, even to the point of losing their life for it. I think this this makes this passage especially sobering then. Um, While I, I doubt that any of us will be asked to renounce our faith in Jesus or be killed. This is what is happening around the world. Like I said, this morning, this will happen this morning to some of our brothers and sisters. And we have no promise that it won't or can't ever happen here. I wonder what we would do if if it came to that. What would you do? I wonder what I would do. Danny was talking earlier this morning about pastors who were killed as they tried to protect their congregation when people came in to do them harm. I hope I'd be that guy. Well, when we come uh, to chapter 16, now let me say this, I, I've said before that, that chapter and verse divisions weren't um, in the original manuscripts of the Bible, they, they came much, much later. So it, it can be difficult sometimes to know what constitutes a section uh, of the Bible. Uh, in one sense, I think we could say everything from chapter 13 through chapter 17 belongs in one section, but I think we need to include at least verse 1 of chapter 16 in this section. After saying all that he has said, Jesus says, I have told you all these things so that you will not fall away. It's an old saying uh, that, that says, forewarned is forearmed. Uh, some of you have heard that before. It means that if we knew what was coming, we might be able to prepare for it. Jesus doesn't want any of his disciples to fall away because things just got too hard. And he wants the same for us. He he doesn't want anyone thinking they signed up for... I don't know, this this song has nothing to do with Jesus, but it's what kept coming to my mind this week. I never promised you a rose garden, right? (laughs) Jesus never promised us a rose garden. What he promised is hatred and persecution. Anyone want to sign up? You know? But sometimes we, we promise things that Jesus didn't promise, that your life all of a sudden will be easy. Your life all of a sudden, when you follow Jesus, makes sense. But it's not easy. Well, I apologize if you, if you came for a, a really uplifting message this morning. Uh, but let me, let me see if I can give us a few takeaways that will help us put into practice what Jesus is calling us to do here. I think there are three things, uh, at least, that, that we can and, and should do in light of this. first of those is, even though most of us uh, are not experiencing the kind of hatred and persecution that Jesus is talking about here, I do think that we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters around the world who are experiencing this kind of persecution, as I said this morning. Um, It's easy to feel really, really removed from it, but we shouldn't. Uh, Like I said, these are our brothers and sisters. So you can uh, utilize uh, websites such as Open Doors International or Voice, uh, Voice of the Martyrs is another one to learn how to pray for specific regions around the world where uh, Christians are facing persecution like this. Uh, I would encourage you also to pray for their persecutors, uh, that that as our Christian brothers and sisters testify about Jesus, that those who are persecuting them would come to know Jesus. Uh, like, Like Saul of Tarsus, remember him? He was one of the most avid persecutors of Christians in his day. And then he met the risen Jesus. Radically changed his life. Ended up being one of those who lost his life for talking about Jesus. So um, pray that those who hate and persecute Christians would encounter the risen Jesus. Second thing I think... John chapter 15 teaches us is that we must never, ever play by the world's rules of hatred. Having been loved by Jesus who died in our place to show us the full extent of his love, we are called to love in the same way. Uh, Stepping out of John's gospel for a moment, Jesus said in Matthew 5, you have heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say... Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In Luke 6, he said, I say love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. We must never resort to the world's playbook when we are being hated or persecuted. If we're going to remain attached to the vine, our posture with the people that God loves has to be one of love as well. You know, there are, there are many, many, many examples of Christians doing this throughout history. One of the more familiar ones that came to mind for me was the story of Corey Ten Boom. Uh, some of you older saints uh, will know that story. Uh, the story of her and her sister Betsy who were uh, Christians who were imprisoned uh, by Nazis for hiding Jewish people in Holland. Here's an excerpt from, from uh, Corey's book, The Hiding Place. She says, In Ravensbrück, where there was only hatred and misery, I found it hard to look to heaven. Betsy, however, showed a universal love for everyone. Not only the prisoners, but also the Nazis. Instead of feeling anger, Betsy pitied the Germans and was full of sorrow that they were so blinded by hatred. She longed to show them the love of Christ. I wonder what you or I would would do in that situation. Corey says she struggled to do that in prison. Uh, She didn't get it. Later on in her life, she was able to meet and forgive some of her guards and even help lead some of them to Christ. So we need to pray for those who are persecuted uh, and their persecutors. We need to play by the rules of love, not hate. And lastly, we need to keep talking about Jesus. Jesus has promised that he would send the Holy Spirit, the Advocate, and that the Holy Spirit will testify about Jesus. And Jesus says that we also will testify about him. The world will hate and persecute Christians because of the name of Jesus. And the very thing they hate us for is the thing we are to keep doing. We have to keep talking about Jesus. And when we do that, we, we have to do it in love. We don't do it by withdrawing or retaliating or rebelling. We do it by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit at work in us and through us to love the people that God loves. I mentioned this earlier in chapter 16, verse 8. We're told another thing that the advocate will do. It says, When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Question, whose job is it to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment? The advocate, the Holy Spirit. Whose job? You're not sure. Whose job is it to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment? Holy Spirit. Is it ours? Let's let the Holy Spirit do His job and let's us focus on our job. Our job is to love and tell people about Jesus, many of whom will hate us for it, but we'll keep on loving them and telling them about Jesus. And some of them will believe. Some of them will say, Is that really true? Yeah. Let me tell you how true it's been in my life. That's why we do it. A day may come in this country, uh, like other places in the world, uh, when Christians will even be killed for doing this. But, friends, even if it does, uh, our job description doesn't change. Love people. Tell them about Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for loving us. So often it's easy for us to receive that love. But your love for us requires that we do that for others. So we ask for your help in doing that. We pray this morning, Lord, for Christians around the world who are hated and persecuted because of you. We pray that they would know that you are with them. Uh, we pray that, as as Peter says, uh, that they would count it a privilege to suffer for your name and that through the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, help them to lovingly tell their persecutors about Jesus. We pray this morning, Lord, for our own witness. Pray that we would make the Lord Jesus the main thing. Help us not to get so focused on other agendas that we miss the main point. And now, Lord, in response to your incredible love for us, We respond in worship by bringing ourselves and our resources to you. So as we give our tithes and offerings, we pray that these gifts uh, would be used for your kingdom purposes. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.